Today on the Vine Church Podcast, I am joined by my friend Emma Leeson, and Emma Leeson um, helps serve uh, and lead a ministry in Madison and the surrounding area uh, for women that have been or are being trafficked, and the ministry is called Every Daughter, and so I'm really excited that we could have Emma here with us today to learn about um, what is happening through her leadership and in this ministry and um, how potentially the vine could maybe be a part or serve somehow in the future. Um, Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So why don't you just give us a, a brief overview of um, what Every Daughter is? And mm-hmm. I'm personally curious, just like, how did this happen for you mm-hmm. and your involvement in it and how it all started? So like the trajectory maybe and the story behind it. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't start every daughter. I joined, um, the organization about six months into its, um, its beginnings. Um, but every daughter is a small nonprofit here in Madison. Like you mentioned, that's, um, really just a a group of women who, um, all love Jesus and love our community. And, um, we are, we, what we do is we walk alongside women who are coming out of human trafficking, trafficking situations, um, exploitation, that sort of thing, um, in really practical ways. So we're not, we're not social workers. We're not, um, professionals in like the most traditional sense of the word there, but, um, we're really just, um, focusing in on surrounding these women, um, with healthy relationship, healthy community and supporting them as they start to kind of make those decisions, um, to get out of the life of, um, sexual exploitation. Um, so every daughter has been around since I think 2016, something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, founded by a social worker and a missionary who came together and, um, just started this little project and it has grown since then. Um, there are a lot of different, uh, women who are involved, including a big group of women who just pray. Um, because we find that, um, you know, working with trafficking victims, um, it's just a really, it's a dark and, um, complicated um yeah problem and prayer is really important absolutely um so so what is your role yeah emma um i am the director of outreach okay for every daughter and i do um a lot of training for new outreach members as well as things like this um Mm -hmm. public speaking events um working with the community to get them more involved yeah yeah so how does somebody um, get connected to you guys? Like, mm-hmm. is there a typical way that a woman who is um, being exploited like this mm-hmm. gets connected to you guys? Yeah. So um, we connect with women through several 
venues. Our primary one is actually referrals lately. Um, so we get referrals from the Madison Police Department. Um, we have a good relationship with the detectives who work with special victims and with anti-trafficking. Um, so they have our cell phone numbers and they just call us or they pass out our phone numbers <laughs> to women that they're working with when, they're, when, they're, um, when they come across a woman in, a, in that kind of situation. Um, and then we get referrals from other organizations um, in Madison and the surrounding area, so Milwaukee, Chicago, those areas. Um, and then our last, our our other outreach is through um, every month we get online and we pull ads from the the websites that ad, that women advertise on. Um, on a daily basis, there are between two and three hundred ads um, on these adult sites where people are posting their services every day. Um, and so we pull ads once a month, we just get on there and, um, pull about 25 or 30 phone numbers and call or text those women directly and just say, Hey, this is who we are. Um, and you know, and we're, we're here to serve and come alongside you in a non-judgmental way and just be a, you know, um, be a resource to you, a support to you as you, um, move forward. So those are kind of our main ways. Yeah. What would you say is like the percentage, if you were to guess, of when you do a cold call like that yeah. or you get a response that's favorable? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably less than 10%. Uh-huh. Um, we are fairly certain that at least half of those calls and texts are going to a trafficker or somebody who's like handling those, that phone. Right. Um, which is like we can't do anything about that. Right. But then there are also this, there's also this pocket of women who um, are choosing to advertise for their own reasons. Yeah. And so they're the ones ho- holding the phone and yep. getting that phone, that um, phone call or text. So a lot of the texts um, go unanswered. And then there's a, there's also a good number of texts that where we just get a, re- a short response saying yep. like, thank you, or I really appreciate what you do, or I'm homeless. Yeah. Help me. Yeah. Um, so last month um, we got, I think we texted 24 women and we got four responses. Um, But then the hard part is getting them to the point where they want to meet with us because a lot of them are fearful that we're the police, that sort of thing. So what are are their responses typically like Um, to the texts? Yeah. Uh, A lot of it is uh, like them just telling us their story. Um, I've been homeless for two years I am dealing with substance abuse. I have two yep. children. I, yep. you know, th- things like that. And desperate for money kind of thing. Um, more desperate for opportunity. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and money creates opportunity for those women, you know, yep. like that's part of why a lot of these women continue doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, a lot of these, um, like this kind of other pocket of people who are choosing to advertise aren't, a lot of them aren't advertising because they want to. It's because they feel like they need to yeah. and they have no other options. Yep. Um, I call it survival sex yeah. <laughs> where, yeah. you know, maybe they were exploited when they were teenagers. They were trafficked at a young age, but then that trafficker kind of like wore them down emotionally, mentally, um, and taught them to believe about themselves that they literally had, they were good at nothing but sex, yeah. nothing but serving men in this other way. Right. And so when maybe they're now they're out of that trafficking situation and it's been five years, 10 years, 
when they're desperate and they look around and they're like, I've got two kids and I can't figure out how to get a roof over our head. I don't want to sleep in a park tonight or at the Salvation Army because that scares me. Right, right, for sure. (laughs) Um, How about I just take one date and make a hundred bucks and then I can pay for a hotel. Yep. And that's often, I mean, that's often the story um, for these women. Um, Yeah, it's so sad. So a couple of years ago, like I met with a woman who we, she responded to our text um, and she said, is this real? Like, that's another really common one. (laughs) Like, are you serious? (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, And she, I got together with her the next day. We met with a social worker together, heard her whole story. She had been exploited as a teenager. Now she was in her thirties. Wow. And she was doing that, just that um, advertising, not because she wanted to, but because she felt trapped and didn't want to sleep on the streets with her kids. Right. So, um, yeah. Wow. So for, I'm curious too about the referral from like law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that typically happen? Where is it like maybe they get a domestic abuse call or they have Mm -hmm. suspicion? I mean, how does that typically happen? Where they would connect you with someone. Yeah. So sometimes people self-report. Like I'm in trouble. I need help. Yeah. Or someone's trafficking me or this happened two years ago and I finally feel the courage to, um, to say something. Gotcha. Um, or they'll have, um, drug busts and that sort of thing. Um, the detective the other day I talked to was saying that there's a lot of trouble on the North side, like and along the interstate with the hotels right now, there are a couple of specific hotels that, um, are kind of known for being like epicenters for like drugs and trafficking. And so a lot of times when they're working, you know, on a narcotics case, trafficking victims kind of emerge. Right. And because they're adults, they can't, you know, like they can just offer options. Yep. Um, yep. Including our phone number. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I remember um, we had another woman with another ministry on a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time she was saying that law enforcement just, this was two years ago, mm-hmm. um, law enforcement just kind of felt overwhelmed with yeah. a lack of resources yeah. to handle the need. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's still kind of the situation in your experience? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, the the detective that is overseeing special victims right now he's uh, he just took over and um his job is really just he's working with all of the um the juvenile trafficking okay. situations um but c- because he doesn't have the bandwidth to handle all the adult ones <laughs> yeah so he's and he's flooded um wow yeah so um, we have a really good relationship with the, with the detective who, um, used to run the anti-trafficking. Um, and she stepped into another area. So, she, but she's still working trafficking cases, not because it's her job anymore, but because she has so much experience and they're so overwhelmed. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she's, they, but they've both expressed this, that they're so thankful to have, um, organizations like ours to just, kind of spread out and distribute that load yeah. because there's only so much they can do. Yeah. Um, so to be able to call us or say, Hey, here's this phone number. Can you reach out? Right. Um, is I think just such a gift to them. Um, yeah. because they don't, they just don't have the people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing where I feel like the church 
can really come alongside government processes and programs mm-hmm. where oftentimes the government can help someone who's in a true emergency. Yeah. But the government can't really, um, in general, the government can't provide relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's what we know that human beings need. Yes. You know, and discipleship, um, no matter who you are, implies relationship. And so there's a a great symbiotic relationship there, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'm really, really thankful for. So um, what does, uh, what is like a, a typical pathway for... I'm sure there's general themes of like, oh, you meet a woman, she's willing to meet with you. What usually happens next for them? I know everybody's story is different, but I'm sure there's probably some themes in general between mm-hmm. what usually happens or maybe not. Maybe maybe you can disagree with me and actually it's totally different every <laughs> single time. But um, what, what does it look like? I mean, how does your ministry, what I'm asking is like, how does the ministry function? Like, what do you actually do? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. That was a, a long <laughs> way a to long ask question. it. <laughs> um, so, yes, it there there is there are some general mm, patterns, um, yeah. but they are they are different every time for every yeah. woman. Um, a lot of it comes down to what her situation is. Yeah. Um, probably about half the time, the women that we like when we start working with them are are homeless, are living in shelters or um, kind of transitioning between their car and maybe trying to get into a program or a sober living home, that sort of thing. Um, and then the other half are, have apartments or something like that, right. Or are, are in programs. So, um, if, if it's our first time meeting them, oftentimes it's just a chance to like sit down and hear their story. Um, just kind of ask them like, what is it you like, what is your greatest felt need right now? Yeah. And, um, how can we kind of like support you in that? them knowing also that like our resources are very limited. We are not social workers, but we have a lot of relationships in the city and can like help them get into, you know, a sober living home or something like that. Um, but a lot of times for us, um, it's just a relational thing, like what you said. So it's a lot of times like sitting down for coffee and, or over lunch, just talking about their week and how it's going. How are they doing emotionally? Um, maybe helping them find a job or if they have a car, you know, helping them figure out how am I going to get my oil changed this month? That sort of thing. Um, some of them, actually many of them have children. Um, so oftentimes like I'll bring my seven year old along and we'll like go to the zoo. Yep. Like with just like you would with a friend, you know, love it. Um, I think that's really important where you just kind of like normalize. Be normal. Like, this yeah. is a normal thing that I right. would do with my friend. Right. And um, many of these women are my friends because we've spent so much time together, yeah. you know. Um, I went to this anti-trafficking event um, through United Madison a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that we talked about was how... Um, the thing that gets women out of trafficking isn't so much all of like the, the physical tangible needs, but it's the intangibles. Um, it's the, the person walking alongside you who believes in you, who trusts that you have what it takes to take that next step, who you can trust, Mm -hmm. um, the, the healthy relationships around you. And, um, that was coming from a woman at this event who has been working with, um, anti-trafficking, working alongside women in Madison for 
35 years. Wow. This has been her full-time job. Wow. Um, a lawyer, lawyer and a social worker. And, um, I got to get up and speak right after that. And I was like, here's what's awesome. Every daughter does just that. Like mm-hmm. we deal with strictly intangibles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then every once in a while we get to pull the tangible things in and meet some really practical needs. Yep. Um, but yeah, so our, our daily lives are, they vary, they ebb and flow a lot. Some weeks are really busy where, you know, like so-and-so needs to get to, her to meet with a parole officer this week because a lot of these women have records um, and we're just helping them kind of meet those needs. Other times it's like slow because everybody canceled. (laughs) So yeah, that's really, really helpful. I love it. Um, Just for like helping someone who's not that knowledgeable about this kind of the dark reality of these women Sometimes when I hear trafficking, I, you know, I've just heard of the stories maybe in Southeast Asia where it's almost like sexual prison where like the, the level of control is almost like these young girls are they're they're overseen 24 seven and it's like, there's no freedom to like have their own car or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this like extreme level of control. Um, and then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, there would be prostitution where there's no pimp involved. I know that's happened sometimes, um, where they're kind of freelance and they're doing it because for whatever reason, um, but they don't have someone like overseeing them. Mm -hmm. When I hear trafficking, I think a, a more, um, intense level of control. Yeah. Is that, is that accurate? And, and for the women that you have, though, it sounds like they do have some level of freedom mm-hmm. if they have their own car and there's no one like, um, for lack of a better term, like putting a gun to their head mm-hmm. or else. Mm-hmm. Um, help us understand how that works and where does, the, um, where does the control of an outside party start and end? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just so, so people can understand the, the reality that these women are living in. Yeah. So I, th- I do think that that's a really big um, misconception that people mm-hmm. have about trafficking. Those kinds of situations, like when you just described with like, like physically being held prisoner, like those happen, you know, they happen all over the world. They happen yep. in Madison. Um, they've happened with women that we've worked with, you know, like actual kidnappings, actual um, tying you to this bed for two weeks. Like that has happened to women we've worked oh with. Oh my gosh. Um, but the far more common version of being trafficked here starts like what I said at a young age, um, 14 year old being coerced, um, like, or befriended really by an older man. Um, then they start dating and then he starts abusing her. Um, but by then she's so bonded to him. Um, or even addicted to drugs because she, he started giving her things um, yeah. that now there's this dependence on this man. And um, so it's more like a brainwashing. It's a mega brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 much more of a mental and emotional coercion than a physical one. Gotcha. Although physical physical it does happen. Yeah, yeah, that happens, too. And like they you know, if they take a date and they, you know, they're in the hotel room right next door and they take the money immediately and give them five bucks or whatever. Um, like they handle all the money. They don't, um, if they, they have 
control over credit cards, over the phones, over everything. So there really is, you know, maybe she could walk out of that hotel and leave and get away. But who's got has, the money? But who has the money? Who right. has the resources? He has credit cards out in her name, yeah. ruining her credit. Yeah. And ruining her like um, rental history. So right. if if then she goes gets free and goes and tries to get a job, tries to get um, a place to live. Yep. She has no credit. She has maybe a record and um, like a, a felony. Yep. And so no one will hire her. And she's living literally on the streets. Yeah. And so like it just, fe- she feels very trapped. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I've talked to people about in that work in this area uh-huh. is um, slavery through drug addiction. Is that another thing that you're seeing? So like if you want drugs, you have to stay with me as your Mm -hmm. handler or pimp or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's very common. And that's why, um, oh, probably two thirds of the people that we're working with have, um, histories of substance abuse. Um, a lot of it's through that route where they're, um, like that's kind of maybe how they were introduced. And then a lot of it is also just like, my life is really horrible and the only way I can deal with the pain is through drinking. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of goes in both directions, but a lot of, a lot of women, that's how they, that's how it starts and that's how they stay. Or is it a tactic on the, on the part of the, is there a term that you use for for men, the trafficker, right? That's it's his tactic to get Mm -hmm. them addicted to drugs first, create that dependency Mm -hmm. on, him and the drug. Yeah. And then he knows that he has them. Is that kind yeah. of how it is too? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. And, and then, but a lot of times there's also this like emotional semi-romantic connection too with that trafficker yeah. where he's the boyfriend, he's the Romeo. So um, it's kind of grooming. Yeah. It's grooming. It's, yeah. it's thoroughly grooming. Um, gosh. Yeah. And you know, so I have a friend who works with, works in, um, with an organization in China who also does anti-trafficking. And it's a really different story for those women because they, they don't have that emotional attachment to anybody. It's actually, I think in some ways easier to walk away Gotcha. versus, you know, like we also work with a lot of women who have, are walking away from abusive relationships, right? (sighs) Same thing where it takes what, seven tries for them to finally leave. It's like that. It's so blurry. Yeah. The lines between like control and what's a genuine relationship. Yeah. And well, I think he might love me because mm-hmm. he did A, B and C, but then he did A, B and C over here and mm-hmm. that shows he doesn't love me. And mm-hmm. it's just super confusing and yeah. on top of feeling addicted to whatever and desperate. Yeah. Like, gosh, it's just mm-hmm. for these men that perpetrate this, I just, um, like I fear and tremble the wrath of God that's being stored up mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. That is, I mean, the, the, the abuse of these image bearers is, is horrific. Yeah. And that, um, yeah, it just makes me tremble mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's extremely, extremely dark and God hates it, obviously. Yeah. Um, what, um, I'm curious to hear about your progression of what you've learned about this kind of dark side of our culture, but also just maybe like 
things that you thought about trafficking before getting really hands on with it? Mm-hmm. And are there things that you've learned that like, I used to think this and it's actually not like that. Sure. It's more like this. Uh, I, I, I'm just interested to hear if um, there's things that you've learned about this culture um, that are new to you, that were surprising to you. Mm-hmm. Anything come to mind? Um, probably the thing that was the biggest surprise for me was how, when I first started working in this area, like it was really intimidating. Um, I was terrified, like, Oh, I don't have what it takes to do this. And I have to like go to school for this or whatever. Um, but then like the moment I met like the first person I started working with, I was like, Oh, she's just like me. She's just what you said, an image bearer. She's just Mm -hmm. a, a person. Yep. A woman, a daughter. That's why we're called every daughter. Yep. <laughs> and um, like from that moment on, I was like, oh my gosh, like anybody can do this and, and everybody should if you love Jesus mm-hmm. and, you know, like, you know, operate under the assumption that it's our jobs to be generous with our lives, you know, Amen. <laughs> and, Amen. and to welcome people in, even the broken people who have Amen. messy lives. Amen. And um, so that was, I think, something that was really surprising to me was like, I don't have to have a special skill set right. to be a friend. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have a special degree mm-hmm. to, to drive somebody to a job interview right. or um, offer them a cup of coffee and a mm-hmm. uh, helpful conversation, you know? Um, and to look at these people as people yeah. um, and not as problems to be solved, you right. know? Um, yeah, I think that that was probably the biggest one, um, just because I think media and I don't know, all these initiatives that are like saying trafficking is real and stuff like it's, it can be really, um, I don't know, like it can kind of distort the picture where you forget that there's a person behind that story. Yeah. You know, amen. I know in, in our church's experience, we've, um, small handful of us have, interacted with women in mm-hmm. crisis in a different ministry in the city. And oftentimes, um, the challenges are very, very immense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get your heart broken because yeah. you don't see the quote success stories. Mm-hmm. How have you, um, handled that and, and, and work through that as I'm sure you get your heart broken a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> we do as a team, we do a lot of, um, work, just kind of understanding and help, like helping one another to have really healthy boundaries. Yeah. Um, and also understanding trauma. Yeah. Um, you know, trauma I think has been a buzzword over the last few years. Um, and everybody, you know, has some level of it or whatever, but you know, I think it's just really important with our job to know like people who have really extensive trauma can be really hot and cold. They can really, you know, try to push you away before you have a chance to hurt them and, um, be one person on the phone and then a completely different person in person, you know, all this stuff. So like, I think that there's a little bit of like, like a lot of work we can do and that I do to kind of set expectations for myself. Like, Hey, I, I have a different set of circumstances that I'm living from than this woman does. And that means I can expect like, you know, kind of, protect myself from being hurt by just expecting, um, not the worst by any means, but just expecting a different response from her than I would give because she's coming from a different place. Um, so boundaries I think are really important. Um, 
and then also just accountability within our team. Mm-hmm. Um, my co-leader, her name is Abby. And whenever we have like a tough situation that we walked through with a woman, maybe she's suicidal and, you know, processing it with one of us or whatever, we always make sure to call each other and, or we'll just be like, if we're there together, we'll go stand in the parking lot afterwards and be like, Whoa. And just debrief and talk through like, why was that hard? Um, what was going on there? How do you feel? And just kind of take that time to like offload. Like this is not a burden for me to carry alone. Um, so that's, I think a really important Um, way that we kind of don't get our hearts broken but it is it's hard you know like we've had women who we've been working with for you know a couple years and then at our monthly outreach you know when i pull ads for um that next round of texts we'll find an ad with that woman right and it's just such a you know it's a heartbreak because you're like wow like i know you've been doing so well something's going on that made you feel like you needed to advertise again right right um but I'm not going to make you tell me like yeah. you have to come to that point where you want right. to tell me. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. On the flip side, have you seen, um, some stories of, of women being released that have really brought joy to you and to them that you could share about without naming names or whatever you're comfortable with? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that this happens all the time where we're always seeing, um, like just glimmers of hope in women, um, just making like really healthy decisions. Um, even if they're small ones on a weekly, daily, monthly basis. Um, one woman that comes to mind, we started working with a while back and, um, she has kids. She was homeless when we met her Mm -hmm. and, um, was struggling to stay clean from trafficking as well as from substance abuse. Um, and since we met her and started just like being her friend, um, we've seen her find stable housing. She's in a beautiful place now. She has um, custody of kids yeah. and is just so happy to um, have her kids in her life. Yeah. Um, and right now she's working on finding a job. So I think that there are just like these moments where, you know, you see, you also see people kind of like, take steps backwards, but yep. then realize this was actually probably one of my favorite stories from this month. Um, a woman did take a step back. She, she kind of had a moment of relapse mm-hmm. or a moment of like, I want to relapse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she reached out to us and said, you guys are so important to me. I need you to know this is what's going on. Uh, And it was just like so beautiful because like even in her moment of weakness, she knew we were there for her and that it was important for her to bring us in to that, um, you know, that hard situation. Yeah. Um, and that's really what we want. We want to be able to be those people. Yeah. Relational resource. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, probably one of the biggest um, kind of unseen or non-visible challenges of being in that position of, you know, post-trafficking is the isolation. Right. Um, Because if you have lived in a trafficking situation for long enough, um, all of your healthy relationships go away. Right. uh, Because the trafficker often cuts those off. Right. um, Where even your family isn't a safe place for you anymore. Well, and this just reminds me of like working with anybody who is um, on the margins of society, usually, um, usually a common thread is they don't have structures of relational support 
like you or I might have. Mm -hmm. Like if you've been trafficked as a young girl, chances are you probably don't have two parents Mm -hmm. that love you and are looking out for you. I'm sure that could happen, Mm -hmm. but it's probably not likely. And oftentimes I talk about, you know, the reason why, um, I mean, it's the lie of the American um, American dream. Like I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I worked hard mm-hmm. and here I am today. And yes, there's some degree of truth in that. I did have to work hard, but man, I looked down, I looked through my past and I go, I've had mentors. I've had parents that love me. You know, I've never, you know, we weren't rich, but we definitely weren't poor when I was a kid and thing after thing after thing. And most women that I've met through different ministries that are in poverty or in, in crisis, they don't have any relational resources for the most part that are healthy. Mm -hmm. It's abuse. It's neglect. It's people viewing you as a means to an end. It's violence. And that's really all they've known. Mm -hmm. And someone comes along like every daughter and we don't have an agenda for you. We're just willing to be your friend. We're not here to use you. Um, We're just here to be your friend and help however we can. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, Sadly, that's normal for you and I. Mm-hmm. It's not normal for them. And um, I think we've, we fail to remember that that's something that, you know, most people in our church have mm-hmm. or have had. Yeah. And you forget that that's not the story for a lot of people in our world. Mm-hmm. All they've ever known is relation for the most part, 95% relational dysfunction. Sure. Um, and, and so like, I think that's just important to name to help people understand where a lot of these women on the margins of our society are coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually something that a couple of years ago, our leadership team at every daughter, we were just like taking our annual leadership retreat and like just praying for the coming year and all that stuff. And, um, something that was really clear as we were praying was like, we're not just working, um, like one-on-one with these women, like we're really wanting to invite them into a community and like envelop and envelop them in a community. And, um, so like over the last two years, we've really tried to find ways to do that, to, um, make it less about that one-on-one relationship, but in more about like, like how can we surround you completely because there is so much isolation and, um, that's something that I talk to my kids all the time about, like how important it is to have those relationships. Like we joke about how, if our house burned down, we'd have like five different people who'd be like, please come move. Totally. That's the church. (laughs) Yes. That's the church. It is. And like, what a gift that is. Yeah. But like, these women don't have that. They don't have that. They don't have it. Right. Um, a couple weeks ago I moved a woman into a new apartment uh, which was super cool, but she had spent a few, um, like, 10 days or something staying with a, with a family who we have a relationship with at every daughter. They were kind of, they were just providing that respite, you know, short term stay while she was waiting to get into this apartment. And, um, as I was driving her, she was just like gushing about this family and how she's like, I've just never seen two people. It was a couple have like, I've never seen two people have such a healthy relationship. Like it was so cool to just watch them like live and like be in their home. And she was just like blown away by just that simple act of like being a family in their presence, you know, in her presence. 
and it was beautiful and i was like oh my gosh i love this Mm -hmm. um but what a gift that is um yeah so (laughs) yeah i I agree 100 percent, and that's where i feel like um the church is uniquely structured in a way that government's not and it's not either or um, I'm not like complete libertarian or anything, but, mm-hmm. but like the government has a place and they're great when people are in emergencies, Yeah. but they might not be great, um, building relationships like you just described, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where I feel like the church is really, should be really strong Yeah. where, you know, um, we are equipped and commanded to love and, mm-hmm. and love those on the margins. Yeah. And, um, so I just, I, I just really, um, hope our people can can embrace that vision and understand um, the need for relationship that um, that is so common for people in poverty or being trafficked or just on the margins for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys feel like you have the um, ability to, to, or any like um, just how does it work to like shine the light of Jesus for these women? How do you guys talk about that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so when we first meet a woman and we're first getting to know them, we're really, really careful to be very honoring mm-hmm. of again, boundaries. Um, yep. many of the people that we've worked with actually have a, a history with the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes it's an ugly history. Sure. Um, they've been very hurt. They've been betrayed. They've been, um, kind of, marginalized by the church. And so we are just like, we're very aware of their vulnerabilities too. So we don't want to come into their lives in a position of authority because we have resources and they don't. Right. Um, then like creating a situation where they feel like in order to like get our help, they have to check this box, you know, of like being, prayed for or reading this Bible verse, you know, I don't know anything. Right. Um, so we, we want to be really honoring of them, especially in those first weeks and months as we're developing that relationship. Um, but they, they know from the beginning that we're faith based Mm -hmm. and that we have people praying for them. (laughs) Um, and, um, we always ask their permission if like, if stuff's going on, we're like, Hey, like we have like 60 women praying for you. Um, not, we don't share names or even really specifics, but if there's anything going on with your life, like, is it okay if we, um, like ask them to pray, you know? Um, so they know that, that that's who we are and how we're wired. Um, but, um, not everybody's ready for prayer. Not everybody's ready for a Bible study. So we're trying to be really, really, um, just conscientious about that and respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are many women who, um, come from a, like are, are ready for that are receptive yeah. for that. So we just, we have Bible study, um, that we just started, um, a few weeks ago and That's we've beautiful. been doing a regular Bible study with, with a handful of the women. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Um, we pray with the women. Mm-hmm. We, um, try to just be that support. Sometimes they want to go to church. So they come to church with us, Love that it. sort of thing. Um, and we partner with um, an organization called Yada Project. They have a little store in Middleton um, that they are faith-based as well. Um, and so we do these like regular shopping hours where they can the, the women can come to the store and shop and um, 
for free and um, just get that communal, you know, like love yep. um, in a, in the community setting like that. Um, so I think in small ways, but then also in more direct ways, um, just depending on where the woman's at, what her history is and what she's open to. Yep. Um, I love it. Yeah. Are there ways that more people can get on board with what you guys are doing? Yeah. Oh, so many. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to do that, how would they go about that? Okay. So our website, um, everydaughter.com has some like resource tabs and stuff like that. Um, there are a few different ways. Um, women who want to get involved, they can be on our prayer core. Those are the, that's, they get daily updates of, mm-hmm. or weekly updates of what's going on and how they can pray. Um, you could join our outreach team. We do, um, direct outreach, which is different for everybody. Like me and my co-leader, we're, um, we log, we can log a lot of hours between us. Sure. Um, but then there are people, women on our outreach team who only put an hour in a week or yep. two hours or four hours, um, based on their schedule. Um, but then there's also something that we've been working on a lot is kind of creating like that broader community of, um, resources or people who have a heart for this. Um, but aren't women (laughs) or don't have that like desire for the one-on-one relationship necessarily. So, um, last week, actually we piloted something again, along with the auto project in Middleton where we did a car maintenance workshop. Oh, cool. And, um, six guys who have a background and skills in that area. We all met in the parking lot and um four of the women that we work with brought their cars awesome and we hung out inside in the store and like chatted and they shopped and stuff while the guys did oil changes and checked their brakes and see that's a that's relational (laughs) oh yeah connection because typically a dad will do that exactly you know what i mean exactly and so you guys are providing Mm -hmm. um where these most of these women probably don't have functional dads in their lives yes you know yes uh, anyway, back to an earlier theme, but I love it. Yes. I love it. So yes. the, the, sorry, you were saying the car project. Yeah. So yeah. that's just another way that we're yeah. trying to create community and kind of fill those gaps for like that dad or that uncle who always does the oil change for you. Right. Like they don't have that. Right. Um, so how can we fill that gap and be the, be the kingdom of God in their lives? Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so things like that where, um, we have a spot, a landing spot on our website, um, for people who just have resources, um, meaning not just money, but also like skills. Um, so we would, I would love to have a longer list of, um, therapists who would want to do pro bono work. Um, you know, being a trauma therapist for the women we're working with, or, um, we have women who volunteer to do like have host a nail night, their nail techs and they give manicures and pedicures and we'll do like, dinner and pedicures together at like a a local nail shop. Like we've done that before. Um, uh, Lawyers, people who have Mm -hmm. legal experience and can help women navigate the legal system as they're kind of working on getting their records clear. There are just so many ways. Sounds like there's some, there's some room for creativity too. So much, so much. And the reason that that car care, thing worked was because I didn't have to do it. Right. <laughs> I right. didn't have to figure it out. Cause I don't know anything about cars yep. or what's, what we can pull off, but these guys and their, um, their families, they figured out a way to make it work and it was beautiful. Well, I know a, a, a huge need for a lot of people trying to, trying to climb out of poverty is mm-hmm. just learning how to manage money. Well, yeah, they've never been taught. Exactly. They've never been taught by parents. Like if you want to, um, 
manage your money well, like I, I could see a seminar like that. That mm-hmm. would be a huge blessing. And yep. well, Emma, this has been awesome. Uh, I know you got to get rolling, but um, so the short answer is if someone wants to get more information or reach out to you guys, just everydaughter.com. Yeah. Yeah. The website's a great landing spot for that. It is. Yeah. Awesome. And one other plug for ways to get involved. If you own a business yep. and you're willing to take a, take a chance on somebody who might not be the perfect fit for your job, um, offering job opportunities as well as if you own properties and want to rent. So to housing needs, housing needs are huge. Um, a lot of, a lot of women, like I said, don't have good credit because their trafficker kind of wrecked it for them. (laughs) So finding a place, a stable place, a safe place to feel comfortable in is really challenging. Yeah. Um, it's, almost, it's similar needs to like refugees. It is. It is. They're starting it's like over. you're starting over. You are starting over. You know? And in some ways you're starting less than over because you also have these added obstacles of I have a felony in my background and I can't get employed. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Emma, thank you so much for coming. It's been a joy to learn about this. And um, I'm really praying that maybe there's ways that the Vine Church can be more formally involved in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if not some informal connections through the website. And um, I know there's there's men and women at our church that um, have a heartbeat to see women released from the prison of being used and not valued and loved and respected as an image bearer of God. So, Lord, help us. May it be so. And um, uh, thank you so much, Emma. Appreciate you coming. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.